Have you ever argued with God? Anybody? Okay. Some of you probably afraid to, I guess, but I, um, I really wanted to start a series about Easter. And, um, and so I had two sermons for tonight that I worked on, both of them. And um, I really did not want to preach this, not because I don't like it, but because I felt like I really wanted to, to talk about Easter starting now and do three sermons before Easter. And um, I really felt like God wanted somebody to hear what we're going to talk about tonight. And I'm saying that for a couple reasons. I beg your pardon? Yes, you have. I want... <laughs> I know that, some, that somebody in here needs this. I don't know who this is, but I know somebody needs what, what we're talking about tonight. I know for some of you, as we talk about this, you're going to probably say, I know that, and you're going to be encouraged at least in what you already know. I found that as Christians and as just human beings, repetition's a good teacher, isn't it? Right? Yes? I see some heads nodding. It's not too warm in here. Are you getting drowsy? Okay, I haven't even got started yet. You can't sleep yet because I'm just now. Here's the thing. Here's the thing about tonight's sermon. As I was going back and forth with God about this sermon tonight, I kept telling him, God, people know this. And he kept saying, when you know something, you walk in it and live it. Or you don't really know it. There's a difference between knowing something in our mind, cerebrally, a mental agreement with a fact, and then knowing it like it's really, really true, and true enough that you can do it and act upon it. Let me give you a silly example. When we moved to Minnesota, one of the cool, we, we went there on the probably the best winter we could have gotten there. Uh, we moved there on July 4th, and then when that winter came, that winter set records in Minnesota, which if you, sent, if you set a winter record in Minnesota, that's a big deal, I'll just tell you. Okay. That winter, we had uh, 30 days that were under 30 degrees, which is under freezing. And then we had 10 straight days under zero. So that's 32 degrees below freezing. Does that make sense? You understand what I'm saying? We had four feet of snow on the ground for three months straight. It was awesome. Awesome. Anybody else here have snowshoes? Anybody else here own snowshoes? Okay, I own two pair. Okay. That's how much I love this stuff. I have a pair my dad gave me. Are really they're old. They're not really antiques, but they're old. They're the big ones. They're really long and, and round. Then I have a short pair for literally you can run in them. That's people do that in Minnesota. <laughs> well, anyway, <clears throat> um, let me tell you one stupid story about those snowshoes, though. Okay, we moved to Minnesota. I had only had a leg for like six months. Okay, so it was still kind of sore. I was still getting used to it. So I'm out on the snow and four feet of snow on my snowshoes walking around. Well, at four feet, the fence posts are under the snow. You, you realize that? Okay, so I was walking, and I tripped on something. I didn't know what it was. Turns out it was a fence post. So I tripped, and I fell backward like a turtle in the snow, broke through the crust. So I'm laying there in the snow, looking up at four feet of snow with my feet sticking up, and my, I couldn't get up. I couldn't move because I was stuck, and my leg was sore, and I'm like, I, and I'm just laughing because I'm out in this field next to our house. No one, I mean, Nicole couldn't find me. I didn't have a cell phone out. I mean, it was just ridiculous. I was just laughing at myself. So it took me probably a half hour just to get up. And then I had to crawl and roll up. I mean, it was ridiculous, but it was fun. 
and I would do it again. <clears throat> so here's, here's, here's the point to this sermon, this illustration that I wanted to give you first. So we moved to Minnesota. That was a most amazing winter. And we lived, we rented a house outside of town that was, uh, had lakefront. It wasn't really on the lake, but it, we had an easement to the lake. I'll say it's like a, like a big road that you could get to the lake. That, anyway. And I remember the first day where in Minnesota, this is a big deal, where they'll say, they'll say they, they tell you every time that you reach a new level of safety of, of going out on the ice on lakes. So the first level is when you can walk on the ice. And I don't remember how deep it has to be, but then it got to the level where you can drive on the ice. And I remember sitting there in my truck at the edge of a lake, and I'm looking at all these trucks out on the lake and all these ice fishing houses, which are little shacks that people pull out there and trailers and whatever else they can get out there. And there's trucks out there, and I'm sitting at the edge of the lake in my truck. And you know what's happening in my mind, right? I'm saying, I know... I can drive out there because I see trucks out there as big and bigger than mine. And not, not just one. I mean, like talking like 20, it's a big lake and there's a lot of people out there, cars out there, people walking around, fishing, doing whatever, all these little houses out there. But in my mind to actually put the truck in drive and then drive out onto the lake. Do you see what I'm saying? I knew I could get out there. I knew it. I knew it. So you know what I did first? I walked out there, right? I walked out there because I thought, I mean, I knew I could do it. I knew I see trucks out there, but there's something about it when you're standing out there and you know you're standing over six feet of water. Now, granted, the water's frozen, but in my mind, I know that if it wasn't, I would be underwater right now. There's something just really weird about that. So then when I got back in the truck and then put it in drive, and then just kind of coasted out there on the ice. It still felt really weird. Do you hear what I'm saying? Okay, that's a difference of knowing and knowing. Now, the next time I drove on the ice, did you know, did I hesitate? No way. No way, man. I hit that and just, then I was regretting it because you really, it's ice. <laughs> You're sliding. Okay, but here's the thing. When you really know something, you walk in it. You live it. It's one thing to know, but it's another thing to know and own it and be part of your life. So here's this, this concept in Christianity that we, we talk about. Who are you in Christ? Who are you? Do you see yourself how God sees you? That's the ultimate question. So many of us worry about what other people think, and that's normal and natural. You will do that probably your whole life, hopefully less and less and less. We will all at some level wonder what other people think. You know, you'll have your significant other. Do you remember how it was? I remember one time, I'm embarrassed to tell you this, but... Well, everybody's been there, but you like this girl, right? Remember? And girls, you like the guy, right? And you come home and you tell your parents, and oh, she didn't even know who I am. And what did your mom say or your dad? There's plenty of fish in the sea, son, right? But does that matter? No, because the one you want doesn't care, right? You see what I'm saying? When I'm talking about this, the one you want to care, the one whose opinion you should value more than any other, more than your own, more than anybody you know, than a parent, a friend, a husband, a wife, anybody, is God's, right? His opinion of you. Could you possibly see yourself how he sees you? This sermon tonight is about, it's an encouragement to somebody here who needs to hear this deeper in their spirit so that they'll walk out there on the ice. Would anybody do that, by the way? 
I've looked at this pond out here a number of times this, this winter, but it was never ready. It was never good enough. <laughs> but here's the thing. Do you look at yourself like he looks at you? I would venture to say not. None of us, not even pastor, not yet, because we're still human. We're all going to be at varying degrees of seeing ourselves how God sees us. But what I want you to get into your heart and deeper in your heart, if it's already there, the way that God really sees you. Do you see yourself as redeemed, redeemed, bought back, that he loved you enough to pay a price for you and redeem you? This word redeemed that the scripture uses is a very specific term. It's a slave trading term. He bought you from whoever owned you before. The sin that owned you, the enemy that owned you, your selfishness that owned you. He redeemed you. Do you see yourself that way? Do you see yourself as dearly loved? Scripture uses these words. The Hebrew does this a lot, and then the Greek has picked it up where they they combine words to add emphasis. Now, we do that in English, too, but in there, there's many times where it's not just loved, it's dearly loved. It's more more than what you think. (laughs) Do you see yourself? I love this scripture mentions and talks about us as the apple of God's eye. Do you realize this is a unique concept in religion? You need to know this. You need to know this. Don't ever fall for the lie that all religions are the same. It's a lie. It's a lie, and it's a very thin, hollow lie. Anybody who says, I don't care how many degrees they have or who they are, they are either ignorant or evil, because this is not true. If you look at Islam, for instance, you are not the apple of Allah's eye. He is a capricious, mean God, and he is looking to squash you. This God, our God, he loves you. He loves you with a love that transcends all of creation. And he, he literally, think about this, bent over backwards to save you. That's the love that this God has for you. That's how much you matter to him. But the thing that really God wants to speak to you tonight about is this concept that you, you are his child. You are his child. You are a child of God. Now, I know in, our, in a lot of cultures today and, and all throughout history, children have been kind of thrown away. And I know that for some of you, maybe, <clears throat> I'm not trying to insult anybody, but I know for some of you, maybe children are a, are a bother or an annoyance, or maybe you've been in places. Like recently, I heard that, that there's uh, people, like I think it was Britain that's trying to pass a law to have different sections of planes for children. <laughs> and if you've been on a plane and had a crying child, maybe their ears were annoyed by the pressure and you know how you know, you're stuck in there for a long time, or God forbid you're in one of those planes that gets stuck on a taxiway for two, three hours, and everybody's got to use a restroom. And yeah, I get that. But the picture that God has of you being his child is one where there's a father who cares for you, protects you, nurtures you, does everything that he can to make sure his child has everything that they need. The ideal picture of a father to a child is the picture that God wants you to have when he talks about you being his child. Now, we we mentioned this, I think, most recently on Father's Day, but just there's some people, obviously, your idea and your picture of who God is as father could be be somewhat altered if, if your father was imperfect, as we all are, or worse. I realize that. But don't let that cloud the idea of this whole concept of child. What he's trying to say with child is, a dearly loved child. 
one that he protects at all costs. Do you see yourself as his child? His child. Hmm. Really? Child of God? Me? Child of God, you? Do you see yourself that way? I know that some of us are at the stage of life where we're right on the edge there of now taking care of our parents, where the roles reverse. Some of you may be there. Some of you may be the parent being taken care of. It's an interesting idea, isn't it? This idea of child of God. Are you really his child and see yourself that way? Maybe you've had some bad experiences in the past that affect your idea of what that means. Maybe you haven't thought yourself worthy of that because of something somebody said or maybe the way a scripture was interpreted or something a preacher has said. I want to to redefine that for you today and I want to take you right to the source itself. Maybe your circumstances, you've made the mistake of interpreting your reality based on your circumstances and it's a normal thing to do. We do that all the time. People who have a tough life, they typically have an idea that there's God and he's mean and he's angry and out to get me. Otherwise, why would my life be so tough? Maybe you yourself have this kind of an inferiority complex that you just aren't worthy. And no matter what you do, you can never measure up to be good enough for God to love you like a child or for you to be literally his child. Maybe maybe for you, you've been such a disappointment to him and you know that. And maybe even in the background of your mind, you may have seen yourself as a disappointment to a parent and that echoes in your mind and then that translates to your idea of who God sees you as. Maybe you think he's angry at you still because you can't stop sinning, that you're not perfect enough. I would just say this before moving on. Join the club, okay? Nobody's that good. And every one of us have different levels of disappointment. What say you? What, what say you? Who do you listen to then? Who do you believe? Whose testimony do you believe? This is kind of a phrase from a courtroom. You know, what do you say? Who do you believe then? If... If you don't think that you're worthy to be called God's child or you've done things that you think have disappointed him too much or you've made him angry and you can't stop sinning and whatever it is that maybe makes you think that or maybe somebody else has said those things about you, I would, sub- I would submit this to you. If we're in a court of law, this would be my case I would present to you. If I'm going to believe anybody's testimony about this, I'm going to God's. He's the one I'm going to listen to first and foremost above everybody else. In fact, I'm going to take what he says over all y'all. All All y'all. You can't say that in California. They're like, what? What'd you say? (laughs) Every one of us. That's the plural of you, by the way. I'm going to take his word over every memory I have. I'm going to take his word over everything that's ever been said to me or about me or about anybody else I know. I'm going to take his word over everything Because he's the one, he's the ultimate authority on everything. And if he says I'm his child, then I'm his child. (laughs) Maybe for you, though, you've thought that you were a stranger to him and he didn't know who you were. 
Let me dispel this for a minute. He knows you. Okay? He knows you. He knows you. He created you. I love this about God. I love the diversity and the creativity. I just love it. I don't know if, if you like me. I mean, I, my, my, my parents, they might listen to this. And if so, mom, I'm not angry about this. I still think it's funny. But when my parents came out to visit, I think I told you about this. Because there's a time change involved, they got a flight that actually was leaving San Diego the day before, and then they crossed the time. Did I tell you about this? So they told me the wrong day. So I go to the airport at 2 a.m., and I'm waiting, and there's a flight from San Diego, but they're not on it. And I'm thinking, okay, that's weird. And then there's another flight. I thought, well, maybe she got the time wrong on the flight or whatever, you know, and so I'm waiting waiting another hour, (laughs) and then I think, okay, something's not right here. So I felt bad, but I call, which, you know, by this time, it's 3.30 here, which is uh, 1.30 a.m. there, you know, and my mom answers the phone, and she's like, hello, and I'm like, "Um, so you're good, I'm glad you're home, (laughs) you know, she's like, what? And I said, well, I just, I just, I'm glad you're home and safe, and she goes, well, where are you? And I didn't want to even tell her, you know, because I didn't know what had happened, but I knew, you know, she was asleep, and now she's not, and I said, I was at the airport, and she's like, (gasps) you know, and then she realized what she did, and it was kind of comical, but I enjoyed every minute of it at the airport. You know why? Because I love looking at people. I just love it. I love watching them, and seeing the families come off the plane, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, look at those. Those are sisters. Look at those characteristics. The genetics are so strong, or look at the mom and her daughters, or I mean, to me, I love seeing that in people. God is an amazing God, not only did he create us with all those unique looks and you know, different sizes, nose and ears and eyes and different shapes and all of that, but what I really love about it is the different personalities he's given us. Do you realize that he knows you? You're no stranger to him. When he calls you his child, he's fully aware of everything that you are, everything you're capable of, everything that you've done, every place you've been, everything you've said, every single thing he knows already. It's not like you're going to surprise him and and he's made all these commitments to you and then all of a sudden he's going to withdraw them because you've disappointed him or you weren't who he thought you were. No, he made you that way. He knows you. (laughs) None of you in here are orphaned and alone when it comes to God. Now, some of us here probably were actual orphans or abandoned But all of us have felt like that at one time or another, maybe felt alone in a crowd or felt like nobody really knew you or what you were going through or where you've been or nobody is exactly like you. And all of us have felt that at one time or another. But the fact is, that's not true when it comes to God. He literally knows every one of us and all of you are special and none of you are alone when it comes to him. That's why he uses that word for you, beloved, beloved. That's a tender word. It's a tender word. It's almost so too tender, I wouldn't even use it. If I, if I said that to my wife, she would laugh at me. It's almost too tender, you know what I mean? At least for her. I mean, it's just, she, that's just, she's just not, I mean, that would be too much. But for God to us, that's appropriate. That's what he says to us. I want you to shut your eyes. Just shut your eyes for a minute. You are God's beloved. I know some of you, keep your eyes shut, please. I know some of you, somewhere deep inside you, 
you recoiled to that a little bit, and some part of you said, okay, not me, but definitely her or him or not really. I'm going to say it again. You are God's beloved. 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 You can open your eyes. You are God's beloved. You are his beloved. Do you believe it? Do you believe it enough to walk on the lake? Second Corinthians, here's where we're going to go to what he says, okay? Second Corinthians chapter 6. I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. What kind of God wants that relationship with you, with me, with us, with humanity? What, why? He didn't need us. He was complete in the Trinity. I mean, he had it all that he needed. He did this out of love. He's an amazing God. I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord. First John uh, 3.1 says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us. Lavished on us. That we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. I love that this, the, this translation, the, the New Living Translation says, lavished on us. Have you ever had anybody lavish anything on you? Like, I'll just tell you right now, I would have to be in a coma for you to find me getting my toes done. I'll just tell you. That would never happen in this life. Just never, ever happen. Uh, but I have walked by at the mall and seen people being lavished upon. And I thought, wow, they look like they're really enjoying that. To me, it looks very uncomfortable. But to them, do I've seen people um, have gifts lavished upon them. Overdone, right? God lavished his love on you. He poured it out just recklessly on you to call you children of God. And I love how, how John ends it there. And this is what we are. This is what we are. Do you see yourself as a child of God that's forgiven? I mean really forgiven. I don't mean forgiven in the mental sense that you know, okay, yeah, I know, I know, I know, but I still feel bad about this. Here's the thing. That you feeling bad part if the Bible actually talks about that's, the, that's your mind and the enemy bringing that up. Remember one of the, one, you know what Satan means literally is accuser? He's the one who accuses. God no longer accuses. He sees you as pure and clean. Now, if you're like me, even as those words escape my lips, I think, no, I'm not. I know me. I know me. I know me. I'm selfish I know me, but God sees us as pure and clean. When you come to him, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to cleanse us from our sins. I mean, forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All. Nothing exempted, nothing held back. He sees you as pure and clean. <laughs> he doesn't hold anything against you. Who here holds grudges? You can be honest. One person's going to be honest. I'm just kidding. I know that some people struggle with this more than others. I have friends, actually some family members too, but I have some friends, it seems like every time we get together, eventually one of these, you know people like this, a story will come up and you just want to say, okay, you've told me this like 
20 times? I mean, seriously, this still, you're still upset about this. And you look at people and think, wow, how petty of them. When, of course, we do the same thing to some degree or another, right? Some people struggle with this more than others. And you know, I know in your mind you're thinking of different people, and I'm not trying to start fights in the room here, but what I'm saying is God never does that at all, ever. When he forgives, it's done. I always tell my kids, D-U-N, done, over, never again, no grudge. He's different than us. He doesn't think like us. He doesn't hold it in like us. He's not wounded like us. He doesn't have the pride that we have. He doesn't have the selfishness we have. He doesn't struggle with the base root sin that we have inherited from our father, Adam. He's different. And when he forgives, he forgives completely. So that when you walk into his presence as a child, you're fully accepted. You have nothing to hold back. You have no reason not to feel confident there. It's paid in full. Here's the beauty of it too. You could never have paid the price and he paid it all. Do you realize, I I was reading um, this week and preparing for this, I was reading one theologian that was talking about when we doubt his forgiveness at any level, we insult the sacrifice of Christ. Man, and I read that and I thought, well, no, come on, that's a little heavy. But you know what? Christ died for your sin. He paid the whole, whole price. The reason God has no grudge against you is because it's paid. It's done. Not only could you have not done it, but he already did it. And it's full, full, full and paid over. This hasn't happened to me often enough, but I'm just kidding. Totally kidding about this. But this happened to me a few months ago where I was at a restaurant and I was just trying to get some work done. So I went real quick and and had a small lunch and was working on my computer and I needed to leave, and the waitress, you know, sometimes like they, they're done with you, and they move on, and you're like, you can't catch them. So finally I caught her, and I said, hey, I need to pay, I need to go. And she said, oh, that man that was sitting over there, he's gone now, paid for your lunch. Paid. I said, well, let me leave you a tip. And she said, oh, he did that too. It's paid. It felt weird. It didn't feel right. It didn't feel right because I didn't know who it was, she didn't know who it was, and I, it didn't feel right because I didn't pay at all. And so I, I, couldn't, I couldn't do it. <laughs> you know, it's just weird. And I, I'm thinking, well, I don't know what he tipped. I don't know who he was. Maybe he didn't tip as much as I would. I mean, you know, it's stupid. You go through all these things in your mind. I couldn't just leave. So I just left her a couple dollars because I figured, some, you know, I was thinking about that today. I couldn't accept it was paid in full. And that's stupid. That's a stupid example But we do the same thing with our sin, and we do the same thing with our God, and we do the same thing with Christ's sacrifice. He paid it all. All. And he paid it dearly. He paid dearly. Dearly, dearly. You are forgiven and good, O Lord. You are forgiving and good, O Lord, abounding in love to all who call to you. Psalm 86.5. Let me read that again. You are forgiving and good, O Lord, abounding in love to all who call on you. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. That should give you hope. We sang two songs about hope tonight. 
And I didn't talk with Cherie about songs. But as we're singing those, I'm thinking about the hope that he gives. And then Alan mentioned this man who needs hope. And I feel like God keeps saying, hope. People need hope. Hope. I, I tried to find a good clip and I couldn't. There's this movie about the bridge over the River Kwai. And some of you have probably seen the original movie about that. But there's another movie more recent that talks about the torture and the trauma that those soldiers, our American soldiers, went underwent under the hands of the Japanese at that time. And in one of these cases, um, there was a man, he was the uh, commander of that group of guys. You know, basically they found the guy who had the highest rank, and all of a sudden you're in charge of all these soldiers from different countries or wherever. And um, he kept trying to encourage them to, to be resistant to the enemy and on and on and on. And so finally, they needed to break the will of these guys. They needed to break their hope. And so, as a mockery to Christianity, they're going to crucify him. And without him knowing, there was a priest there, and he gave his life for everybody, for him. And I couldn't find a good clip to show you that wouldn't have been weird, but the thing about it was, when he did that, he gave them hope. You see what he did? He was saving them, and what he did was amazing, but what it did was it gave them hope. You can't break them after that. They have hope. Do you have hope? Being a child of God should give you hope that no matter what else is happening, no matter what else is going on, that you still have hope, that there's hope. You know, I always think of the example of sinkholes, and usually associate that was with Florida, and we had this terrible situation where a man got, did you, did you hear about that? Oh my goodness, the sinkhole opened under his bedroom. <laughs> they never found him. He's gone. And recently, that's not funny. Okay. <laughs> and there's a sinkhole. Did I hear about one here in Kansas City area too? I mean, it happens, right? What is that? I mean, basically what it is most of the time is an underwater pipe breaks and the, the, the dirt is sucked out and then there's nothing underneath and so everything collapses under it, right? It's a good picture of our lives at time, isn't it? If you don't have anything underneath, eventually it's going to crumble in and it's all going to fall in unless you have hope. And hope in what? I mean, what is the foundation of that hope? Here's the thing. If you're a child of God, no matter what else you have, you can hold on to that. No matter what. No matter what happens. Nothing will change that. Your future is guaranteed if you have that. You're your future is guaranteed. You always will have that. <clears throat> you can trust him that your father will protect you and provide for you and take care of you. Now, I think it's very important to point out this, that it doesn't mean that your father is like this daddy warbucks that will come in and just pay for everything. But you do have a father that will walk with you through anything. Anything. I would rather have that. I have to tell you the truth. I would rather have that and have everything perfect. I know it may sound weird to you. That may sound opposite or incongruent or a contradiction, but it's not. Because I would rather be his child and walk with him through anything than just have everything given. He's faithful and true. This is what he says to you. 
Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Hope, that's our Father's will for you as his child. Look at, look at Lamentations. I can, I've never used a scripture from Lamentations in any sermon in my entire life. 27 years, 28 years of ministry. The Lord is good to those who, whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. He's a dad you can trust, a father who will be there in and out no matter what. (laughs) Being God's child changes your perspective. You see things differently when you know you're his child. When you know you're his child, you see things, you see the world differently than anybody else. Anybody else. You know the old, the old thing where somebody will say, something's different about you. What is it? What is it? What is it about you? And you're a Christian. What is that? You're a child of God. You're a child of the king. That's who you are. You know your identity in him. You know who you are. You know who he is to you. You know who you are. You're comfortable in that. Can you believe it, though? One of the keys that Pastor has been teaching us in the series on giving and stewardship, the key is, if you really believe what he says, then giving won't be a problem. If you really believe him. The same is true with this. If you really believe that you're his child, then it will change everything about how you live, how you see yourself, your confidence, your confidence in where you're going. Everything changes if you really believe it. Is it really true? Can you really trust him? Is he somebody who you can really believe what he says? And if you can, then you will accept it and it will change your life forever. And you will literally walk in this truth. In honor of the Pope being elected today, I thought we would do a little Latin. Anybody take Latin? You should remember this, Maggie. Maggie. Um, I won't bother trying to pronounce this, but this is a phrase um, that the Catholic Church uses quite a bit, but it's not limited to the Catholic Church. This is a phrase that the church has used for centuries, millennia probably. What it means is, this this word lex is law, but um, it also means what I do as law. This, this next word right here, orandi, orandi, I don't know exactly how to pronounce it, but it literally means what I worship or what I pray. The next one is, I believe. You probably see the cray there. The, that means truth and belief. And then the vivendi, which is to live. Here's what this phrase means. What I pray, what I worship, I believe, and I live. If I really believe it, I pray it and I do it. I heard a youth pastor simplify this whole thing down to this. He says, you know what people believe by what they do with their feet. Do you live it? That shows whether or not you believe it is whether or not you live it, whether you walk in it and actually do it. I want to have you look at it like this. 
this whole idea of, of child of God, I want you tonight to embrace this concept, to embrace the idea. It may be difficult, and I really believe that somebody in here needs to hear this, maybe more than one person. And for you, this whole time, you've still been kind of pushing it away. What I'm going to ask you to do is, even as much as it goes against the way you feel or what you think about yourself or what you've thought about the world, instead of pushing away, I'd like you to try to embrace it and hold this idea close. The idea that there is a God who holds you close as his child. That he will carry you through whatever it is physically you're dealing with, whatever it is emotionally you're dealing with, if there's a loss that you're experiencing, whatever that thing is that as you embrace this idea that he is your father, you are his child, he will care for you and walk you through this. Embrace it. Step out and take the risk to embrace what he wants to give to you. Galatians 5.1 says this, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand fast, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. <clears throat> You're a child of God. You're no longer a slave. Ephesians 4.1, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. If you're really a child of God, you act like it, right? Don't you? Sometimes you can tell whose people's kids are, right, by the way they act. People should tell who we are by acting that we act like his kids. That, that verse goes on to say this. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Basically, this is God says, you're all my children, so treat each other nice. <laughs> There's privileges that go with being a child of God. It's not just about about us embracing him and feeling accepted, but there's actually privileges that go with this. And for some of us, I think this is another hurdle that may be difficult for us to overcome because you don't feel like you're worthy of any privileges of being a child of God. You might be willing to accept the fact that he accepts you and forgives you, but then to go further than that may be difficult for you. But there are privileges. Do you realize that there's certain favor that you should enjoy, that you do enjoy as a child of God? Favor. You're special. You're special to him. You have status. Status. You should enjoy status of a, as a child of the king. Now, let me just add this caveat. A lot of people who have status in our, in our world today didn't earn it. And we often don't feel like they deserve it, right? You didn't either. And you don't deserve it. You have status, though. <clears throat> What's cool about it is you couldn't have earned it anyway, but the status you have, Jesus earned for you. Remember that paid in full part? Because of that, you get the status that was his. It's incredible. It says right here in Romans 8, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. (laughs) Co-heirs with Christ. Co-heirs with Christ. That is status, folks. That is huge status, which again, you could have earned, and you didn't earn, and you don't deserve, but you have it. You have that status. That's pretty high status, okay? Not only do you have status, but what do people of status have? Access. Access. Access to what? You know what? The only thing I really care about is access to God himself, and you have that. You have that. Let us draw near. This scripture right here, Hebrews four sixteen. 
Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Confidence, you have access. Because of what Christ did, you have total access. Not only access, but guilt-free access. Guilt-free. This is not like when you wrecked your dad's car and you went in to talk to him about it and you knew you had something to hide. It's not like that. It's not like when you broke your mom's vase and glued it together and you're hoping she doesn't see. And then every time she's upset, you're wondering, did she find that chip? This is not like that. Because when you're forgiven, your access is open, free, and his arms are open wide. (laughs) I want to encourage you always to be respectful. He says that we can call him Abba, Father which is really hard for me to understand. And it's always made me uncomfortable, and I know why they do it, and it's totally fine, but I've heard preachers pray, and they'll say, or even anybody pray, and they'll open up a prayer, and they'll say, Daddy, really? I can't do that. It means Daddy. I'm just not really comfortable with that. But I'll tell you, I'm comfortable with the idea. I'm comfortable with the idea that God loves me like a child, And he wants me to come to him as a child and talk to him like that. Like my kids can talk to me. They talk to me respectfully. Now, I grew up in a military home. And my dad never did this, but we had certainly, I had a lot of friends who called their dad, sir. And I know that they didn't have the relationship with their dad that I did with mine. I mean, I would never call him anything disrespectful. But I didn't have to call him, sir. Our God, he loves you so much. You get to come to him with confidence. Would you shut your eyes again? As we close tonight, I know that there's somebody in this room, at least one, maybe more, that for you, as I mentioned a minute ago, as I've been saying these things, you want to embrace this idea, but at the same time, there's reservations. You have reservations because you know who you are, you know that you failed him, you're worried that you aren't good enough or don't measure up or one of those many things. I'm going to tell you one more time tonight that he loves you and you're his child. You are his beloved. Beloved. His arms are there to walk you through whatever it is you're going through. I want to do this with us tonight where I want you to have an opportunity to just Respond to him that way. You can say, Daddy, if you're comfortable with that, but I just want you to respond to him in your own words, in prayer. I'm going to pray, but I just want you to pray along with me. Don't, don't just listen to me pray, but instead pray along with me. If as I'm praying, that sparks an idea in you to pray, you pray whatever God is calling you to pray. But basically what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell God from my heart to his, and I want you to tell him from your heart to his, that you are grateful that he loves us like that, that he accepts us like that. I'm going to ask him to forgive me, and I'm just going to tell him, God, I want to embrace you tonight, and I want to live like I'm a child of yours, and I want to really live it like I really mean it, like I really believe it, like I could walk out on that lake or drive out on that lake. Pray with me. God Almighty, I am so grateful to you that you love me, that you know me.